You're listening to audio from One Church of High Point. If you'd like more resources or would like to donate, visit onechurchnc.net. Do what he normally does. So my challenge for you today is this. It's not that you just sit and listen and get excited through the worship or anything like that and not experience change. Because I believe it's tragic when we come into a setting like this and we encounter a holy God, a God that is set apart from any other God and there's no change. There's no transformation. So my desire is that whatever that may be said today, whatever that is spoken today, that, that if something is deposited deep within your soul, that's within your spirit, 
So when you leave here today, my prayer is that you have a burning desire to live out what is taught, what, what is revealed, and that you take home and be changed. Here at One Church, we desire to create disciples from the inside out. And as we begin to walk with one another, begin to do life with one another, that you're not alone in this Red Sea, amen? Because I don't know if you've ever been in a valley. It's, it's rough. And oftentimes, we have to find ourselves some people that can walk along with us. And so if you have not yet found a community, just a community of, belie of believers, of brothers and sisters in Christ, I would encourage you today to get connected with one church or a church that's teaching, that's preaching, that's really just encourage you along the way, that's challenge you in such a way that you will live out what the Scripture tells us that we need to live out. And I remember reminded about Apostle Paul, he says that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your pain, your hurt is not in vain. It is in the Lord. And so today, if you need some joy, you can find it. If you need some peace, you can find it. If you need some hope and some love, you can find it as well. Because it's only found in Jesus Christ. And as I'm thinking about some hope and just some stories of hope, you know, um, I'm reminded just about like just people who drive today, right? Like if you are a new driver, I'm not going to call anybody out. I don't think Trinity's here. She's a new driver. We have some new drivers there, people. I'll tell you this. Um, I've been behind some people that just don't understand the common courtesy rules of driving, right? There's some, just some common rules of hope when you're driving, right? There's some things that, let, let, let me give you an example. For those new drivers out there, and old, because sometimes you forget to do the same thing, Please put a blinker on when you're merging. Can I get an amen, church? Yes. Like, when you're merging into traffic, put a courtesy blinker on. If you're making a turn, if it's right or left, doesn't matter, put a blinker on. Nothing burns me up more than a driver who's merging without a blinker. Because I will have to quote Bishop Ludacris, move, get out the way, get out the way. Come on now. Luda? Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm saved. I'm going to let you know, but I'm just, for those who don't know who Bishop Ludacris is, I just gave him the name Bishop because his name is Ludacris. He played on Fast and Furious, the tech guy. Okay. He's a rapper. He has a song that says, move, get out the way. But how about people when, you, you know, when you're, they're merging, they're, they're trying to get into a lane, and, you know, you get a sign that says, two miles, please merge, right? And then what they do, they wait to the very last minute to try to merge over. <laughs> like, like, what in the world is going on? I'm going to let you know. You come across me, my pickup truck, or any one of my cars, I'm not going to merge. Amen? 
I would get a scratch on my car just to, on general principles, right? Just because I'm not moving. <laughs> because you waited to the last minute to try to merge into the lane. I see some husbands and spouses calling each other out, so hey. I'm just glad y'all going to the marriage retreat coming up this weekend. I need prayer. I'm just going to let you know. What about this? Oftentimes when I'm driving and I'm at a stoplight, and I'm there waiting in a car ahead of me, and the light turns green, and they don't go. Mm, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm sitting there thinking, and I'm waiting, what do I do? Do I blow the horn? Do I gesture behind the, you know, the steering wheel? Because you can't blow your horn at everybody these days because you never know what's going to happen. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll just wait. Then the light turns yellow. By, now, by this time, I'm upset. Because I have somewhere that I need to go, and this person is sitting at a green light. It went from green to yellow. Oh, no, not yet. <laughs> then the light turns red, and then they go. And then I ask myself, Jesus, do I go, or do I sit at the stoplight? Then I have to remember, on my truck, I have this sign in the back of my, church, my truck that says, One Church. And I'm tempted to take it off just because of, you know, <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that some crazy people attend this church. It is, right? It's too late. There's nothing more irritating than watching someone sitting at the light of life and it's time to move forward and they don't move. <laughs> There's nothing more disappointing as a leader of the gospel when, God's, when I see God's children sitting at the stoplight of life at a green light. For those of you who don't know, I've shifted already. I'm not talking about drive. I'm talking about our spiritual life. When you're sitting at a, a green light that God is saying, my child, I need you to move forward, and you're hesitant. You're sitting at a green light while God is calling you to do something. You're sitting at a green light when God is calling you to do something new. You're sitting at a green light where God is saying there's something better ahead of you, but you're hesitant to move forward. See, life is full of people sitting at green lights. Life is full of people, full of Christians sitting at a stoplight when God is saying, my child, it's time to move forward. God is calling them to revival. God is calling you to a shift. 
And in that shifting, there's a transition that has to take place. But yet you're sitting. You're stagnant. And God is saying, it's time to move forward. This year is a year for revival. This year is your year for revival. See, in 2020, many of us have been waiting for God to do something, right? 2022 is gone and passed. Now we're walking into 2023 or a month into 2023, and God is saying it's time for revival. We've been waiting for an open door, an answer prayer. We've been waiting for the prodigal child to return home. We've been waiting for God to do something, and he's saying it's time for revival. But you're waiting, and you're sitting. 365 days out the year, 52 weeks, 12 months, you're, you're waiting, you're frustrated, and you're asking God, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? One of the ways that God has gave, given us this word for this year, for many of you may not know, God gives our church a word every single year. In 2019, 2021, God has given our church the, the year to move forward. I'm thinking, okay, cool. It's the year for COVID to kind of get past certain things, you know, it's to kind of pick up the pieces and move forward. But no, it's the year to move forward. In 2022, God has called our church to go deeper. And now as we have embarked into 2023, the word that God has given our church for this year is revival. I want you to really own it. I want you to begin to meditate. I want you to begin to say, God, what is it that you want to revive in my life? What is it that you want me to revive in my relationship with you? And we see revival all throughout the scriptures. We see it in Psalm chapter 85, verse 6. It says this, Will you not revive us again, O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? Hosea chapter 6, verse 2 says, After two days he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, it says this. After, after, afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just black or white or Asian or Latino. He said all people, that I will pour out my spirit upon you. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. I will revive them today. So what is revival? Right? What is, what is revival? Revival simply means to bring back to life when something was dead. See, that's the twofold action there. The bringing back to life is one aspect of it, but before you can bring back, you have to be dead. So there's some things that maybe that has died in your life, that has died in your relationship with God. I said, you know what? I'm going to breathe my breath into it. I'm going to bring it back to life. But revival requires change. Revival requires change. And in order to receive what God wants for you, what God has for you, you have to do something different. You can't do the same old thing expecting something new. 
You can't put new wine into old wineskins. Something has to be different. And in order to receive it, in order to receive this revival, God is asking you to make that shift, to make that transition. And we see this type of shift in 2 Kings chapter 18 with King Hezekiah. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 2 through 7, says this. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. Let me just stop right there real quick. Verse 2 says, he was 25 years old. So as I look out and see all of our young adults sitting in various spaces, don't underestimate what God is calling you to do. Know that God has called you in such a way that he has empowered you, has equipped you to bring about change. And not only change, but he's called you to lead. And so our young adults, I'm putting you on blast right now, I'm putting you on notice. I need you to lead. I need you guys to, to embody what God has called you to do. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, and his daughter was Zechariah, if I can read that, that far, yes. And he did what was in right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut it down from down the Asher. And he broke in pieces, broken into pieces, the bronze serpents then Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. And verse 5 says this, he trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there will be no other like him among all the kings of Judah and after him nor among those who were before him. Verse 6 says this, For he held fast to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments of the Lord, had commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. We see this. We see this type of shift taking place with Hezekiah. We see a shifting that took place with King Hezekiah because the kings before him did not lead like him, did not follow the God that we believe, who the God of Isaac and Abraham and Jacob, that we follow the God of all creations, and the other kings before King Hezekiah did not do that. So King Hezekiah began to make a shift. He began to make a transition. And I believe this, revival requires removal. Revival requires Removal. What do you mean, Pastor Ryan? Well, let's look at verse number four. King Hezekiah removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asher, and he broke it into pieces. King Hezekiah removed everything that was not of God. What God wants for you, for us to have revival in this place, for revival in your life, that God wants you to remove those things that does not please God some practices, some relationships. You may have to eliminate some things that aren't for you. You may have to even, in a season of fasting and praying, ask God, what is it that you want me, that you want me, that you desire for me to remove? Just like King Hezekiah began to remove some things out for him to be and do and what God has called him to do. 
In other words, church, it's time to grow up and get off the milk. I need you to grow up. God needs you to grow up. Now, if you're a babe in Christ, I get that. You can have Simulac for a little while, but there's sometimes where you got to have some, something deeper. That God wants us to get off of the, the, the premature things, the, the simple things of the gospel, then to begin to go deeper in what God has called us to do. Get off the milk and get on the meat. See, revival requires removal, but revival also requires trust. That we have to trust God for your life. Even as crazy as it may be. See, trusting God always doesn't make sense. See, trusting God, God may ask you to do certain things that may not look, may not even be logical, right? But that's where faith comes in. One of the rules that we had in the Red Sea rules that, you know, you take the next logical step. But in other words, what, what we were saying in the Red Sea rules when we say take the next logical step, mean put your faith into action and walk it out by faith. Because man's logic is not God's logic. Man's logic does not line up with what God wants us to do all the times. See, revival requires change. Revival requires removal. And revival requires that we trust God. And I believe this. There's four ingredients for revival. Four ingredients for revival. It's like baking a cake, right? Okay. There you go. I got you. It's like baking a cake. So I'm going to give you four ingredients what God wants to really do with us in this next year for revival. And to see that, we, we can go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by, by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place. I think I'm reading a different version. It's all good. Reading your Bibles. I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself, a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or to send pestilence among my people, verse 14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then... Then and then only will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayers made in this place. See, that's a recipe right there. There's a recipe for revival, what God called us to do. And revival has this. To experience true revival, to experience what God wants for you, God is asking you to have a holy heart, a heart that is set apart. See, to have a holy heart, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. See, if we want revival, we have to humble ourselves. We're not asking God. God wants our obedience and not our programs. He doesn't want us to do the programs of just, just of busyness, but he wants our obedience. He wants our sacrifice. He wants you you know what? He actually wants your availability and not your ability, right? He wants you to be available to be used by him. 
not your abilities. He will use your gift and talents because he's the giver of our gifts and talents. But he's asking you, will you make yourself available to me today? See, God wants our hearts and not our schedule. God wants a holy heart for his children. So he wants a holy heart, but he also wants a holy prayer. He wants a prayer, a lifestyle prayer. It says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I'm going to tell you this, prayer has gotten me through so many things in my life. And I would, I, would, I would say this, we need to be proactive in our prayers versus being responsive and reactive in our prayers. If we're proactive in our prayers, then, you know, you, you are putting prayers before everything that you're doing versus being responsive, like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. God, what is going on in my life? But you're being reactive to what's taking place. But better yet, a holy prayer, a prayer that is set aside, a prayer that is actually mobilizing and moving forward before you even go. If we understand that prayer changes things and move mountains and pull down strongholds, I believe that we will pray more. If we truly understand how prayer operates in, our, in a believer's life, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. That prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. But oftentimes prayer is our last response. Flip-flop, what I just said, yeah. Prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. So you have a holy heart, a holy prayer, but then also God wants us to have a holy hunger. He said, if you will seek my face. Imagine every time that you eat that you begin to spend time with God. Are you hungry? Do you have a hunger for Christ? Do you thirst for righteousness? Do you thirst for who God is? The more you feed your spirit, the more that you would desire the spirit. The more that you feed your flesh, the more that you would desire the flesh. There has to be a shifting. There has to be a transition of what you're feeding your spirit. Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. So I'll say this, church, you have a holy heart, a holy prayer, a holy hunger, and last but not least, a holy repentance. Y'all know what that is? Have you done it in a while? Have you repented? Have you said, God, forgive me of my sins? God, forgive me for my, my shortcoming, the things that I've done that, that does not please you in such a way. So, God, if you truly are seeking my face, God, if you really are seeking me, that you will turn from your wicked ways. My prayer has been this, Lord, search me, search my heart, see where I am short, my shortcomings, my shortfalls, God, those, those wicked things that does not please you. How do you have revival? How do you begin to have revival? A holy hunger, a holy prayer, a holy heart and a holy repentance.
says, if my people who are called by my name will have a holy heart, if my people who are called by my name will have a holy hunger, if my people who are called by my name will have a holy prayer, if my people who are called by my name will have a holy repentance, then, then my eyes will open, my ears will be attentive to their prayers. Maybe your prayers are not being answered because there's something that you need to get right with the Lord. Now, I'm reminded of this story as we begin to wrap up just to kind of streamline our lesson today. Back in 1940, there was this professor in Europe and teaching some theology students. And he took these theology students to a tour of Europe where there was this this guy who really led the, the way of our denomination. This guy that this house that they went to was called John Wesley. So these theology students went to go visit John Wesley's house and you know, it's, it's history, right? So I love history and begin to walk through and look at what John Wesley's doing. So they enter the home of John Wesley. And as they enter to John Wesley homes, and I can just only imagine they're being in awe. This is where John Wesley preached and began to teach and begin to pray and begin to do his sermons prep. And they walk into his house, all of the students, and they walk in, they walk into the kitchen and begin to imagine. This is John Wesley's kitchen. This is where... His mama made some eggs and some bacon and some grits, amen? They begin to imagine how John Wesley woke up every morning and began to come downstairs and talk with his parents and see what was taking place. And John Wesley, they begin to walk through John Wesley's house and they walk through his living room, begin to imagine this is where John used to sit before having those conversations with his parents. And then they begin to walk upstairs and as they're walking upstairs, they're checking out the bathrooms and the bedrooms, and they begin to look at John Wesley's bedroom. And then right beside his bed was these two imprints on the floor. And what we begin to see, those two imprints that was on the floor was, as the um, Professor Orr tells them that this is where John Wesley prayed for revival for England that he prayed so long, he prayed for every single day, hours long, and every single day that he began to pray and pray and pray, God, please send revival to England, but not only for England, but God, send revival to the U.S., but God, not only for revival in England and U.S., but God, send revival to this world. And so the students begin to leave, and then they begin to walk and get onto the bus, and then Professor Orr began to do a head count. He started counting one, two, and three, and four, and then he realizes that the, he was short one student. So Professor Orr goes back into the house. He begins to, to walk through the kitchen and begin to walk through the study. He's looking for the student, and he's, you know, he can't find him anywhere. He said, let me just go upstairs and see what's, what's taking place. And Professor Orr gets upstairs, and he sees this young man kneeling down in those same two imprints with his head bent, arms folded, and his head down. And Professor Orr began to hear this student say, Lord, please do it again. And he leaned in and just lit it more, and Professor Orr hears the student saying, Lord, please, please send revival. Will you do it again? 
Professor Orr walks over and taps the student on his shoulder. He said, son, it's time to go. We're waiting. So the student gets up, walks downstairs, and gets on the bus. And the student sat down. His name was, no other name, but who else? The great Billy Graham. The grandfather of revival. And so church today, I waited to tell you that the, the, the title of my message is this, Revive Me. Would that be your prayer today, church? That God, do it again. But God, when you do it, do it in me. That God, that you will begin to send revival into our cities, into our schools, into our jobs, into our workplace. God, will you do it again in me? That God, when you have revival, God, revival starts first in me. God, do it again. Church, is that your prayer? Because we can't have revival in cities and schools and at jobs without having revival first in you. So church today, will you take revival to your neighborhoods? Will you take revivals to your jobs? Would that be your prayer? God, please send revival. But God, when you send revival, send it in me first. Because once revival takes place in you, then it can touch other people, and God can do something miraculous. So as our, our praise team, choir, make their way back up, my prayer is this for you today, that I no longer want to be a Christian who's playing it safe. If you're playing it safe, then I want to challenge you to take another step of faith and ask God to send revival in your life in such a way that it may wreck you. Because to have revival, something has to die. So there's some things that God is saying, God is asking you to lay down today, that He doesn't, know, he doesn't want you to carry that any longer. That for what he wants to do in your life, that he wants that to die in your life today. And it may be something small for you, but it's something big for God. God is asking you to lay it down. Because revival requires change. Revival requires to be removed. And revival requires that you trust. And so today, as you stand and we worship together, I'm asking you to allow revival to start in your life. That Lord, do it again. Do it again to me. But revival has to start with you first. There's nothing more disheartening sitting at a green light. There's nothing more disheartening where God is giving you the green light of life to go forward and you're stopping. 
So if you, all right, if you're that person where you have stopped at a green light in life, as God is saying, my child, come towards me. I want to encourage you to do that today. Because the season that you're in, God wants to do something for you. If you don't know, it's what you plant in the right season that produces a harvest. And God wants to plant you in the right season to produce a harvest that's only designed for you and you alone. But the beauty of a harvest is this, that so many other people benefit from it. So when harvest comes, we want to benefit from what God is doing in your life. We want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. But the only way to do that is to live a life with Christ. So if you're here today and you don't know this person by the name of Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to come forward. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe you've fallen off the wagon just a little bit. And you say, God, you know, I want to give back my life. But, you know, I've been kind of doing some things the way that I haven't been doing. And believe me, I'm guilty. I've missed a mark several different times. But his grace is sufficient. And his mercies are new every morning. And if you need a cup of new mercy, come on up. There's plenty there. Thank you for listening to audio from One Church. If you made a decision of any kind today or would like to learn more about what your next step is, visit onechurchnc.net. If you are local to our campus, claim your visit online at onechurchnc.net slash visit.